Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode number 75 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and joining me, as always, is Tony Pauline. We're back in the saddle here after taking a couple weeks off, and we'll move from draft reviews to conference previews with the college football season now under 60 days away. For the rest of the summer, we'll be breaking down the top prospects from each conference in the BCS, or Division 1A, as Tony still likes to call it. And we also intend to have some of those prospects join us here on the show. It has been a little while, though, Tony. How's the summer so far? And really, the burning question is, how long of a break did you actually give yourself before diving back into the team? Oh, summer's okay. I mean, we've had a lot of rain here in the New York area. It's rained on the New York Mets. I mean, they've been awful this year, uh, which is basically uh, giving me plenty of time to go through the tape. So to answer your question, I actually started the film work or started up again on the film work Probably the third week of May. I know it was before Memorial Day I was watching game film. And thus far, I'm through the MAC conference, which we'll do tonight. I'm through the American Athletic Conference. I've completed the Big Ten Conference. I've done a few independent teams like Massachusetts and uh, Notre Dame. And I'm through the beginning of the uh, ACC film. In fact, I had just finished the Clemson game film before we uh, taped this podcast. And Clemson... Looks like it's going to be another explosive uh, season for them, although their talent really lays on the offensive side of the ball uh, rather than defense this year, which is uh, an episode and a team and and prospects we'll talk about a few weeks down the road. Absolutely. And and as you alluded to, the first conference here we will discuss is the Mid-American Conference, obviously more commonly referred to as the MAC. There were nine players drafted from the MAC in April's draft. Three of them went in the top 100. Central Michigan cornerback Sean Bunting and Northern Illinois tackle Max Sharping went in the second round, and Toledo wide receiver Deontay Johnson, a guy we talked a lot about, ended up going in the third. Now, Tony, looking ahead to the 2020 NFL draft, what's the outlook for the Mac? Right now, if I was to use a single word, that word would be awful. I mean, it's not a good year as far as NFL prospects, especially from the uh, senior class. I do not have a single senior from the Mac with a draftable grade as of right now after the film review that I've done the past couple of weeks. So what it means is these guys are going to need uh, need some big senior years. And it's not just me, because when I talk to scouts and grades that they have assigned these guys, I, I mean, there are two kids from Western Michigan who got very late round grades. Top two prospects are underclassmen, uh, not a single senior uh, received a draftable grade. That's not a good sign. Maybe some fun games to watch, but there's not going to be a whole lot of interest there from a scouting perspective. Now, we're not going to tackle every team in this conference. As Tony said, it's not really that strong in terms of draft prospects. Uh, we're not going to go over Bowling Green or Kent State. They combined for three conference wins last year and just really nothing of intrigue there. But otherwise, we are going to go in alphabetical order. And obviously, we'll start with Akron, who had one player drafted in April. That was linebacker Ulysses, as Tony likes to call him, Don't Call Me Grant Gilbert. They don't have any draftable prospects this year, at least right now, which is kind of a theme as this conference is going to go on. But there is some intrigue on the squad. Junior quarterback Cato Nelson is one of two returning MAC quarterbacks to average at least 200 passing yards per game. Senior linebacker John Laco ranked sixth in the MAC with 126 tackles. And senior offensive tackle Trevor Brown is a likely guard at the next level, the guy who's better in pass protection than run blocking. But the guy we're going to discuss mostly here is senior defensive back Alvin Davis. 
He's kind of our prospect to watch here for the Zips. Broke into the lineup as a true freshman at safety. He's been starting ever since. Really has improved every year. He was second team All-Mac in 2017. First team All-Mac last year. Led the conference with four interceptions. Returned two for touchdowns. And has actually been working at cornerback in spring practice. Just to kind of increase his versatility for the upcoming season. But that's also probably going to be his best fit in the NFL. He's only 5'9", 175 pounds. But despite that size, Davis can lay the wood. He's been doing that at the safety position for a couple years now. He's actually called for targeting a few times last year, had a concussion as well. So he's definitely a small guy, but not afraid of a challenge. Tony, what do you see in Davis? Yeah, you said he's 5'9". He's lucky if he's 5'9". I think he's more 5'8", 170 pounds. You know, he's a good football player. He just does not have the measurables for the next level. He's one of those players that I said scouts think could slide into the late rounds. I had him off of my uh, 2017 film. If you read my Akron preview last year, I had him as a prospect to watch. You know, I like him as a football player. I just don't like him as a prospect because of those measurables, because he's short, because he's thin. He's got small arms. He's got small hands. I just don't think it adds up to Davis being a, a draftable prospect next April. Could he make a roster? Yeah, I think he's got the skills to make it as a dime back special teams player. I just think it's going to be an uphill battle with those computer numbers. Now I'll slide over to Ball State here, who went 4-8 and eight last year, just like Akron, who we just discussed. Now, for Ball State, there are a couple linebackers of interest. Junior college transfer Ray Wilborn led the team with 83 tackles, 10.5 for a loss in his first FBS season. Junior Christian Albright is actually one of our top-graded players in the MAC as a whole. Moved from defensive end to linebacker before last season. Tied for the MAC lead with four forced fumbles. Led the team with five and a half sacks and ended up making the third team all-conference. That's probably just a jumping-off point for his 2019 accolades coming up, right, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. And really, when you start with Ball State, you got to mention the fact that Riley Neal, their quarterback, has transferred to Vanderbilt. And Riley Neal, had he stayed at Ball State, would have been hands down the top NFL prospect in the MAC. But he's going to be in the SEC now. Uh, as far as Albright's concerned, yeah, he is what teams want these days in an NFL linebacker. He's a little bit undersized, but he's very quick. He gets from point A to point B in no time at all. He's a terrific in pursuit. Right now, I have him with a uh, six-round grade. He's okay in coverage. He holds his own in coverage. He's not outstanding. I think with a guy like Albright, it'll come down to his 40 time. I have him now as an estimated 4-7 guy, 4-7-5 guy. If he runs any slower than that, he's not going to be drafted. But he's only a third-year junior. I'd be surprised if he comes out. Ray Wilborn is like in some areas of the scouting circle. Some teams think he's going to be a priority free agent. You know, a guy who he's got decent size, a solid run defender, but he's very slow. He's basically a two-down, one-dimensional type of linebacker, which basically limits his appeal. Now, Buffalo went 10-4 and last year, lost several key players, none of whom were actually drafted, whether it was Tyree Jackson or Anthony Johnson or Khalil Hodge. That's unlikely to change for them this year. They do have a senior, Evan Cesarek, as a big left tackle. Not much of a prospect, though. Kind of like what you said about Ball State with Riley Neal. Buffalo's big prospect was tight end Tyler Mabry. He transferred to Maryland as a graduate student. Last two seasons, 51 catches, 472 receptions, and three touchdowns. Was a first-team All-Mac player in 2018. Tony, what do you make of the Bulls this year? Yeah, first of all, credit to you for being able to say the offensive lineman's last name correctly. Forget about me even attempting that. But, you know, uh, he's a big guy who's limited to a very small area. Uh, Mabry may have been drafted if he had stayed with Buffalo. I think he's more of a priority free agent. He projects as a very nice potential number three tight end at the next level. And it's kind of funny when you look at Buffalo. You know, you mentioned the three players. A year ago, if we had been doing this podcast, 
or you read uh, my prospect review on Buffalo, I had two of those players, Anthony Johnson and Khalil Hodge, as draftable prospects. Hodge dropped off at the Shrine game, didn't have a great senior season, and then when people saw his body type at the Shrine game, he really fell off. Anthony Johnson didn't run very fast, and then people thought Tyree Jackson, the quarterback, may be drafted, but none of them were. They were all going to be in in camp this uh, summer. I I don't know if a year from now we're really going to see any player from the Buffalo Bulls in an NFL camp. A team that was on the other side of the conference last year was Central Michigan. They were 0-8 in MAC play, but they placed two players in April's draft, both cornerbacks, Sean Bunting, who we mentioned earlier, and Xavier Crawford, who went in the sixth round. Fellow defensive back and former teammate of those guys, Devani Reed, is a safety who's top 10 in the MAC with 97 tackles, although he's a redshirt sophomore and probably unlikely to enter the draft, kind of like you mentioned with Albright earlier. With the Chippewas, though, there's really not much else of note. So we're actually going to head east within the state to eastern Michigan, who had Max Crosby drafted in round four in April, went to the Oakland Raiders, obviously a personal favorite of Tony's for anybody who has been listening to the show for a while. Their leading tackler, linebacker Kyle Roquel, he's gone. But there are still a few interesting senior defenders left with the Chippewas. Brody Hoying made a lot of plays in the backfield for a safety last season. Kevin McGill, a cornerback, had three interceptions. And linebacker Vince Calhoun was the team's second leading tackler behind Rockwell and will probably take over that mantle this year. But the main focus for scouts is going to be offensive tackle C.D. Sow. He's a redshirt sophomore left tackle, received some preseason all-MAC recognition Heading into 2019, kind of a dancing bear type of tackle. Good feet, good size. Possibly the only draftable Mac prospect besides Albright, who we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and a real young guy, as you said, a redshirt sophomore. I mean, you know, you you said it best. He's a dancing bear. He's a big guy, but he moves very well on film. He's able to shuffle his feet. He's able to slide out in pass protection. He's large enough to engulf defenders. Want to see what his actual true measurements are. I have him estimated at 6'4 and a half, 310 pounds. If he's under that 6'4.5 measurement, he may be kicked into guard. But I like his future. I like his upside. I like what I saw last year on him on film uh, as a redshirt freshman. You know, usually I don't grade these guys unless they really pop out to me on film. And that's exactly what he did at times. Now, we're halfway through the conference now, so it's as good a time as any to remind everybody to please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, our next stop is going to be Miami of Ohio, the 6-2 in MAC play last year. Senior Doug Costin is a pass rusher to watch. Over the past two seasons, 19 tackles for loss, 11 sacks. Junior Tommy Doyle is an intriguing right tackle. But the main draw for scouts is Red Hawks tight end Andrew Homer, a junior who can block and catch. 14 and a half yards per catch last year, three touchdowns, only 16 receptions, though. What are your thoughts overall on Homer, Tony? Yeah, he's going to be the main guy at the tight end position this year. When you watch Homer, he basically looks like a big possession receiver in a tight end's body. He's able to get down the field. He catches the ball very well. He does a solid job blocking. You know, he was basically a backup last year, rotational guy. He's going to be the starter this year. So I would expect with the repetition and experience, he should get better. He's just got to fill out that frame. I've got him at about six foot five, 245 pounds right now. And I think just as he physically matures, gets bigger, gets stronger, and receives more playing experience, uh, he's going to be a better uh, prospect for it. Right now, I have him as a free agent grade, 
But if he continues to improve upon what he showed last year, I could absolutely see him down the road as a late-round choice. Just to get back on your, what you were talking about with Doug Costin, Costin is looked upon as a priority free agent by scouts, more of a three-technique tackle. He's quick, he's explosive, not the biggest guy in the world, but someone who makes a lot of plays based on his hustle. Now, Northern Illinois is a team that won the Mac West last year. They had Sharping drafted and also edge rusher Sutton Smith, who we talked about a lot on our podcast last year. The Huskies do return two tackling machines on defense in senior linebackers Kyle Pugh and Antonio Jones-Davis. Both were over 100 tackles, ranked in the top eight in the conference. But the story here for Northern Illinois is graduate transfers. Safety Marche Terry comes over from UConn, where he was a starting safety in 2017. He was a bench linebacker last season, so he's going to look to get back on track in the 2019 season. And quarterback Ross Bowers, kind of the same story as Terry. A starter in 2017, didn't really play as much last year. He did start the first game of the season at Cal, had one nondescript half against UNC, and then didn't play after that. Ended up taking a medical redshirt. Uh, supposedly, he re-aggravated a thumb injury from camp. Also saw the Cal offense kind of moving forward with a more mobile option at quarterback. So he's now a Husky, and he's going to compete for a starting job here for Northern Illinois. Yeah, you know, if you watched Terry last year in 2018 at UConn, you really wouldn't see him because he wasn't on the field that much. And you, you would wonder, why is this guy a prospect? But you got to go back to the 2017 film when he played safety, when he's more of a traditional strong safety in the box type guy. But he really had an impact there because he's got excellent size. He goes about 6'2", 6'3", 218 pounds. He's a forceful tackler. As you mentioned, it's just a matter of him getting back on the field and getting his game back to where it was in 2017 and improving from that point on. I'm betting he's going to do it. You mentioned Kyle Pugh. Kyle Pugh's a tackling machine, a little bit undersized, 5'11 and a half, probably about 235 pounds. He's more of a uh, two-down type of run defender. But again, I mean, scouts like him as a uh, potential maybe late-round choice. They don't think he'd be a late-round choice, a priority free agent. But he makes a lot of plays based on his hustle. Uh, I think that match that they have there, Marsh Terry, who's able to force the action up the field, and Kyle Pugh, who's constantly around the action, will make for a fun uh, Northern Illinois defense. Uh, the Ohio Bobcats come off a solid season. Senior quarterback Nathan Rourke returns after throwing 23 touchdowns against only eight interceptions. Senior safety Javon Hagan is the leading returning tackler, also has six career interceptions. But the main player to watch here in Ohio is senior offensive tackle Austin Pleasance, a two-year starter at right tackle, 6'8", great height, good strength at the point. Tony, what's your take on Pleasance? Yeah, I mean, Pleasant's got outstanding size. He's not the greatest athlete, but he's a big, wide-bodied blocker. He makes great use of positioning and, and angles to get the job done. Don't know if he's going to get drafted. I have him as a priority free agent, but I think he's a guy that you can bring into camp, and he can develop either on a practice squad or even an active roster as a uh, basically inexpensive utility uh, lineman at either tackle spot or maybe guard. Keep an eye on Javon Hagen, uh, the safety. 5'11 and a half, 210, 215 pounds. He's a guy who flashes ability. If he pulls it all together in 2019, he's someone that we could be talking about as a late-round pick next April. Now, Toledo had two players drafted in April, Deontay Johnson, the receiver, and also cornerback Kadar Holman. Now, Kadar's secondary mate, senior safety Khalil Robinson, is the returning leading tackler on the team. Had one interception last year, but he had four in 2017. So there are some ball skills there. There are two other seniors to watch for the Rockets, linebacker Jordan Fisher and offensive tackle Cameron Bell. Now, Fisher is a guy who moved from tight end to linebacker last spring, forced three fumbles last year in his first season on the defensive side at the college level. He's a great athlete, but 
as with most guys who switch sides of the ball, he just needs more experience and to refine his skills a little bit. Bell became the starter at left tackle. He's a monster at 6'8", 345. The question is, Tony, do you think he sticks on the blind side, or is he going to have to kick inside or move over to right tackle? I, I think he's solely a right tackle if he can play tackle. I have him graded at guard. But he is a definite size prospect who plays big football. I mean, he plays to a size. He annihilates people. Problem is, is he's not very uh, agile. He's not very mobile. He's a, a phone booth type of uh, prospect. But his size is, you, you just can't pass it up. And he's a guy who, I don't have him as a draftable player. I have him as a free agent. And he's somebody that I could see sticking on a practice squad because of that size, because of that upside. You know, you mentioned Jordan Fisher. Fisher was a guy who I liked at tight end. The problem is he's just short. He's under six, uh, six foot one. So they moved him to the linebacker. He's a forceful guy. He's relatively athletic. As you said, it's just a matter of him getting more experience, doing a better job with his reads, diagnosing plays quicker. But he's got the athleticism. Someone who, again, I have him as a free agent. As I said, I've got no senior uh, with a draftable grade from the MAC. But someone who I think has got enough athleticism and upside potential if he, uh, he will be either a practice squad player or if he makes an active roster, we'll have to do it on special teams. The last team we'll touch on today is Western Michigan, and they bring a pair of speedy senior skill players to the table in wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge and running back Levante Bellamy. Both were laser-timed in the low four threes in June 2018. Eskridge averaged 20.4 yards per catch last year, second in the MAC behind John Vea Johnson, Toledo receiver who graduated to the NFL last year, scooped up by the Dallas Cowboys as an undrafted free agent. Eskridge did take a backseat to freshman Jaden Reed last year in terms of volume. Eskridge led the team in receiving in 2017, but that was Reed's role last year. Bellamy was finally healthy last year. He tore his ACL and some ankle ligaments in September of 2016, had another ankle injury in October of 2017 that cut his second consecutive season short. He's an explosive player, can catch the ball out of the backfield, almost 1,400 total yards and seven touchdowns last year. So speed alone might allow this duo of skill guys to make an impact in the NFL, right, Tony? That's it. I mean, it, it's absolutely, you know, if they're even, they're leaving because they have deep speed and, and they play fast. It's not just they run fast for the 40. I mean, when you watch them on film, they play fast. There are some teams or some scouts I've talked to who think that Eskridge could make a move to uh, the defensive backfield. But teams are looking at both of these guys as situational players and special teams players. You know, Levante Bellamy is a third down back. You get him the ball in space on those toss sweeps or, or you throw it to him out of the backfield and he's dangerous in the open field. Same thing with Eskridge. I also like the center Luke Jariga a bit. I have him graded as a free agent. He's got decent size, six foot three, 299, 300 pounds. He's a smart player. He's a guy who gets the most from his ability. Again, I don't think he gets drafted, but I think he's absolutely someone that can get looks in camp next summer. Now we're going to close out the show by talking about a player or two who we expect to land at the top of the draft. Now, last week, Tony tweeted that he had been told scouts ranked Justin Herbert of Oregon as the top senior prospect in the country, regardless of position. So not just the top senior quarterback. And he was also given one of the highest grades ever to any senior the past decade. Give us a little more information, Tony. You know, by comparison, Herbert was given a much higher preseason grade than players like Christian Wilkins, who went in the first round last year, who was graded as the top senior a year ago. Former Oregon alum, DeForest Buckner, who was an early pick. Brandon Scharf, who's uh, doing well for the Washington Redskins. He was great as the top senior prospect going in, into his uh, final year at Iowa. You know, the only two players who I've heard that got a higher grade than Justin Herbert the past 10 years uh, when they were entering their senior year were, sit down for these two names, Matt Barkley, 
uh, of USC and Harold Landry of Boston College. I'm told that Herbert is well ahead of any senior on the list and really light years ahead of any other quarterback on the list. Now, two of those five players you mentioned, the last two who you kind of braced us for, didn't even end up going in the first round the following season. Harold Landry still went on the second day, but Matt Barkley fought all the way to day three. So really, Tony, how important are these preseason grades? You know, the grades are really not important. The preseason grades, anyway, are not important in the final process. They're more of a guideline at this point. You know, no team is going to be in the war room next April saying, hey, you know, this guy was graded as the fifth best senior prior to the last season. We better draft him. In the past, you've had guys like Quinton Copels of uh, North Carolina, Quinton Groves of Auburn, Quinton Moses of Georgia enter the season uh, graded as, as the top seniors uh, in the nation. And only Copels ended up as a first-round pick, and none of the three ever lived up to expectations. I don't know if it's uh, being the top-rated senior is the jinx or having the first name Quinton is the jinx. Uh, You know, being a highly rated player can be a bit of an albatross because a lot is expected from you. I mentioned Harold Landry and Matt Barkley were given huge grades entering their senior season. And look where they ended up being drafted, as you mentioned. Now, conversely, Baker Mayfield was given a fifth round grade prior to his senior season and ended up the first selection of the draft. And that same year, Isaiah Wynn was graded as a street free agent and ended up being a, a late first round choice. So if the grades themselves aren't particularly important, where's the value come in? Yeah, the value is not in the grades as, as much as it is in the measurables. The verified height, the verified weight, and the 40 time, especially if they can get a, a verified 40 time, though most 40 times are estimated. The value is also in the background information on each player. You know, the medical history of that player. Has he had any injuries? They will oftentimes go back to high school and any off the field issues which have occurred in the past. So since Herbert is so far ahead of the other seniors at the quarterback position, have you heard of any of the grades on junior quarterbacks, specifically Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa? From what I'm told, league scouts who graded Tagovailoa gave him a range of grades. At the top end, they graded him slightly ahead of Justin Herbert, but they also gave him a lower grade at the bottom end of the range. Now, Tua is definitely more polarizing of a prospect than he was at this time last year, and obviously that tends to happen with quarterbacks as they put more on tape, they get dissected a little bit more. People talk about it all the time. The last year that you're eligible for the draft is when you truly get dissected, and we're about to enter that range with Tua here. But what does the wide range of grades given to him heading into the season tell you about where scouts sit? Well, it tells me that those scouts believe that Tagliavoa has a higher upside than Herbert, But he also comes with more downside risk, which I think is a bit surprising to me because of the injury history of Herbert, because of the fact that he's never really been a big game quarterback. So we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Now, you mentioned injury history. When these grades are given out, are they strictly for on the field and then they might have a flag for medical? Or do they take that injury history in account and maybe drop a player a couple decimals of a point or point or however they do the grading? A lot of these grades are based on height, weight on the measurables, more so than the play on the field, because that is uh, considered key at this point. You know, medicals will be written up as far as characteristics. If the guy missed time because of medicals, it will be noted. Now, do scouts have Tua Tagovailoa as the highest graded underclassman coming out? You know, from what I heard, Tagovailoa is not the highest graded junior. Actually, his teammate, receiver Jerry Judy, was graded higher than him. There may be other juniors with higher grades, but from what I was told, Judy comes into the season with a higher grade than Tagliavoa. 
Now, let's touch quickly on West Virginia wide receiver Marcus Sims. Last week, you broke the news that Sims filed the paperwork to make himself available for the supplemental draft coming up here in the summer. What are the feelings that scouts get on the six foot, 194-pound receiver? You know, I'm told he's been graded anywhere from a third-round pick to as low as a six-round pick. A lot will depend on his workout. A lot will depend on interviews. Now, when I watch Sims, what stands out to me is the ability he has with the ball in his hands, both in the return game where he was named second team All-Big 12 as a returner in 2017, and also after the catch, he's a guy who extends his hands while his snatch passes away from his frame, quickly transitions into yards after catch opportunities, gets to top speed quickly, and he's pretty slippery in the open field. Just overall a good athlete and a guy who you want to have the ball in whichever manner you can get it to him. Tony, what do you view his strengths and weaknesses as? Well, number one, he's a physical beast, that's for sure. Of all the West Virginia receivers that will be in camp this summer, you got David Sills with the Buffalo Bills. you got Gary Jennings with the Seahawks. Sims is the most athletic and the most physically gifted. He's the fastest, he's the quickest, and he's able to separate from defenders easier than the other two. Now, obviously, the fact that he failed out of school is a red flag. He had few other options other than to enter the draft. He doesn't have a big body of work at this point in time. He played in that wide open West Virginia system. And I think right now he's viewed as a better athlete than football player. Now, when is Sims expected to work out for scouts? I'm told that Sims is going to work out this coming Monday, July 1st at a facility in Maryland, which is actually a good time because he'll work out July 1st. He'll go through some interviews. We'll have the 4th of July weekend. Then the supplemental draft takes place on July 10th. What kind of numbers are you expecting him to turn in during that workout? I think there could be some eye-popping numbers in the sense that you're going to see 40 times, potentially in the four threes. I think we'll also see some super fast shuttle and three cone times. All right, Tony, it's prediction time. Do you think Sims gets drafted? I think he's worth taking in the late rounds, but off-the-field issues do bother some teams. Now, you have to remember, unlike the April draft, where teams have to use their picks, teams are not required to use their picks in the supplemental draft. You know, the irony here is I was told in January that Sims was seriously considering entering April's draft, but passed on it. It's ironic because he probably would have had a much better chance being drafted in April than he's going to have on July 10th. And that's all for the 75th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. No more extended time off for us here, so we'll be back next week to take a look at the American Athletic Conference and break down the prospects to watch for the upcoming season. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.